0: You're with SBS Radio.
1: SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online, and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from Burundi people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater.
2: Hello I'm Bertrand Tungandame in Ngomera language and I'm very happy to be with you this Friday afternoon. Now coming up in your program, we have a conversation with uh, Sean Miller. Sean Miller provides art cultural and mentoring support to indigenous inmates in prison as well as in community across Victoria. And he's joining us today to talk about an exhibition Confined Thirteen that opened its doors y- yesterday with 400 extraordinary artworks by 350 indigenous artists currently in or recently released from prisons across Victoria. Also coming up, we have a conversation with Shanaya Sheridan, partner and mother of the two children of celebrated Kundish Mara, Toyota and Bakinji artist Josh Muir, who sadly passed away 30 days ago. Shanaya Sheridan joins us to talk about Josh's art and an exhibition celebrating The Art of Josh Muir, launching this Friday evening at the NGV at Federation Square in Melbourne. Also in the program, we look at a call on Australia's political parties to establish a COVID-19 recovery plan for people with a disability. But first, the latest news on NITV Radio. Australia Day 1972
1: saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament House. The state of title legislation must be amended.
3: And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry.
2: This bulletin calls to extend Victoria's truth-telling commission to better understand injustices committed against First Nations people. Former Liberal Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull denies encouraging Australians to vote for independence. And federal opposition leader Anthony Albanese continues to defend his leadership after failing to recall the details of his party's six-point plan for the National Disability Insurance Scheme. First People's Assembly co-chair is pushing for Victoria's Truth-Telling Commission to have a longer inquiry to better understand injustices against First Nations people. Victoria's Aboriginal Affairs Minister Gabrielle Williams is scheduled to appear at the Europe Justice Commission this Friday and an interim report is due next month. Co-chair Marcus Stewart has told in ITV the commission should last from between five to ten years to make the full extent of history known.
1: We will, I guess, connect the dots of the systemic, um, well, not just the the systemic, basically the pattern of what's happened through our colonisation. We'll be encouraging the Commission to speak to
4: all nations, all peoples who have stories to tell, truth to tell, but
1: really we'll be laying the foundations of what treaty can actually achieve in the state of Victoria.
2: The Commission's final report will be delivered in 2024. Landcare Australia is launching a new learning resource in schools focusing on First Nations perspectives. The resource was created with educator and Wiradjuri man Adam Sheep to provide ten new learning activities for the Junior Landcare program. The activities will be used by educators across Australia to help teach First Nations perspectives on the topics of weather and local seasons, creating indigenous plant gardens and learning about the traditional custodians of the land. Junior Land Care Program Manager Joe Stainfold says schools are able to localise the resource by focusing on the traditional country their school is based in.
0: The aim is for all schools across Australia to be, basically bring it back to their own country, to what's relevant to them, and for them to start learning about, you know, their own um, traditional custodians
5: in in their own area.
2: The Northern Territory government says its agencies are working to provide support to families displayed by violence in a remote Indigenous community. The community of Wadiya, about 400 kilometers southwest of Darwin, has experienced civil unrest over the past two months because of tensions between rival clans. Up to 500 people have fled their homes, with many staying in bush camps with no shelter while one man has been killed and others seriously injured. The Northern Territory's Deputy Chief Minister Nicole Manison says the community is experiencing difficult times.
1: There's a lot of grieving, there is a lot of sorrow on the ground and there is, frankly there are still some people who do not feel safe. So we're working with all these different family groups um, to try to bring life back to what-air, um,
4: to as normal as possible.
2: Former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull says he isn't telling anyone who to vote for. It follows suggestions Mr Turnbull was encouraging Australians to vote for independence over Liberal Party candidates. This Sydney morning earlier reporting he will deliver an address at the Washington Harvard Club in the United States. He is expected to criticise the federal government for a lack of action of climate change, saying since his departure in 2018, the party has become one where moderate voices are now increasingly marginalised. It comes a month after the former Liberal leader wouldn't confirm if he would vote for Liberal MP Dev Sharma in his previous seat of Wentworth. Mr. Turnbull says it's important to support a resilient democracy.
1: You know, what we have to do is support democracy. I'm not telling anybody who to vote for, uh, but I think it's very important that we have a democracy that is resilient. I mean, just it's not so long ago there was a mob sent by the president of the United States, Donald Trump, to undertake a coup and, you know, like a coup on the Capitol here in, in Washington. So you cannot take the endurance of our democratic institutions for granted.
2: Anthony Albanese is denying he wasn't across his brief on the National Disability Insurance Scheme after he was handed a document outlining Labour's six point policy, where he wasn't able to recall the details. Mr Albanese is visiting his own le- electorate of Grandla in uh, inner Sydney, but questions quickly turned to whether he made a mistake in not knowing the particulars. Labour colleagues have reportedly been frustrated with their leader after the so-called GAF. Mr Albanese reiterated his comments from yesterday, saying the NDIS is about putting people first.
4: Let me tell you what the NDIS is about. It's not about gotcha questions. What it's about well, is well, providing well, what... what, what, policy what policy really hang on, you, 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 had, you had your opportunity. You had your opportunity and now it's my turn to answer. We created the NDIS, we're doing that from opposition under Bill Shorten who's had a role both in government and in opposition. And he is coming up with, he is coming up with solutions to stop the cuts and to put people back at the centre of the NDIS.
2: Meanwhile, Prime Minister Scott Morrison is expected to announce a $108.5 million election promise to help provide training for an additional 1,500 defence workers. The expansion of the Defence Industry Pathways Programme would see the upskilling of teenagers graduating or leaving school in 14 regions across Australia. Students will receive a nationally accredited certificate and be trained with practical experience in trade, as well as skills in engineering, project management and logistics and cyber security. Mr Morrison will unveil the measures in Perth where he is campaigning this Friday. The Australian Council of Trade Unions is accusing the Morrison government of failing to close the gender pay gap for women. The body's president, Michelle O'Neill, was joined by several protesters in front of MP Gladys Leo's office this morning. Ms. O'Neill told SBS News the incoming government must take urgent action.
0: We still have a $483 a week pay gap between women and men and women retire with about half the superannuation uh, that men do. They're also more likely to be in low wage and insecure work and two in three have a chance of experiencing sexual harassment in a current or former workplace. What is needed is we need a full uh, implementation of the 55 recommendations of Respect at Work
2: Israel's Prime Minister Naftali Bennett says Russian President Vladimir Putin has apologized for his foreign minister's comments claiming Adolf Hitler had Jewish origins. Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov earlier said that Hitler had Jewish roots, a remark described by Israel as an unforgivable falsehood that undermined the horrors of the Holocaust. In a phone call, Mr. Putin had apologized with Mr. Bennett, accepting the apology and thanking the Russian leader for clarifying his regard for the Jewish people and the memory of the Holocaust. The leaders also discussed how Russia would allow civilian passage from the besieged Azov style still works in the Ukrainian port of Mariupol through a humanitarian corridor handled by the United Nations and the Red Cross. A new United Nations convoy is en route to Ukraine to evacuate civilians from the azov steelworks in Mariupol. It follows reports of heavy bloody, heavy, bloody fighting at the besieged plant, where many still remain trapped in underground tunnels and bunkers. Russian President Vladimir Putin has told Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett they remain committed to an agreed three-day ceasefire to allow civilians to evacuate. But a Ukrainian fighter who said he was hauled up in uh, that that vast complex, has accused Russian forces of breaching the plant's defences for the third day in a row. Once again, the Russians violated the promise of a truce and did not allow the evacuation
1: of civilians who continue to hide from shelling in the Azovstar plant's basement. We call on the global community to evacuate civilians, and I personally appeal to the Commander-in-Chief to take care of wounded soldiers who are dying in agony from inadequate treatment provide the opportunity to pick up the bodies of soldiers so that Ukrainians can say goodbye to
2: their heroes. World Health Organization officials say the truth that toll of the COVID-19 pandemic is close to 15 million more than two times the official death toll of 6 million. The figures include people killed directly by coronavirus or by the pandemic's impact on health systems, such as those with conditions who were unable to seek treatment when hospitals were inundated with COVID patients. The WHO technical officer for the Department of Data and Analytics, William Semburi, says most of the additional deaths were concentrated in Southeast Asia, Europe and the Americas.
4: Globally, we estimate 14.9 million excess deaths associated with the COVID-19 pandemic by 31 December of 2021. So this estimate ranges from 13.3 million to 16.6 million. There were 5.4 million reported COVID-19 deaths uh, to WHO over this period,
2: He says lower-middle-income and upper-middle-income countries account for 81% of this $14.9 number. Vanuatu is seeking to integrate human rights law into the way the world and individual nations respond to climate change. The country's Prime Minister, Bob Luffman, is calling for an International Court of Justice advisory opinion on treating climate change as a human rights issue. Speaking at a launch event in Fiji last night, Mr. Lofman warned the Pacific will be in peril if the world's biggest polluters continue to put profit over people and planet. He says Pacific island nations have contributed the least to carbon pollution, yet they continue to bear the greatest burden. And to support Australian NBA star Ben Simmons is set to return to the Brooklyn Nets training camp following successful successful back surgery. Much to the shock of many basketball fans, the 25-year-old had been suffering from a herniated disc in his back. Prior to the revelations, Simmons had spent almost an entire year off-court citing mental health concerns for his refusal to play for the Philadelphia 76ers before being traded to Brooklyn. The Nets have since released a statement on Twitter saying he is expected to make a full recovery prior to the start of next season's training. And now having a look at the weather around the country. Broome, a sunny day, 34. Perth, sunny, 24. Adelaide, a shower of 217. Melbourne, dead showers, 16 degrees. Hobart, heavy rain, easing, 15. Albury-Wodonga, mostly cloudy day, 12. Canberra, mostly sunny, 13. Wollongong, sunny, 19. Sydney, similar conditions with a top of 21 degrees. Newcastle, the same with 21 degrees as well. Brisbane, showers, 25. Townsville, a mostly cloudy day, 29. Canes partly cloudy as well, 30. Early Springs, a sunny day ahead, 18 degrees. Darwin, mostly sunny, 35 degrees. And at West Islands, partly cloudy day and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. (music)
5: on radio,
3: online
2: and mobile. You're with NITV radio. Without you. And that was uh, Without You by the King Laroy, coming to you on NITV radio this uh, Friday afternoon with me, Bertrand Tungandami, your host. Very, very happy to be with you once again. Still to come in the program, have a conversation with uh, Sean Miller, talking about a new exhibition that opened its doors yesterday in Melbourne, Confined 13. It's an exhibition with 400 extraordinary artworks by 350 Indigenous artists currently in or recently released from prisons in Victoria. Also coming up a conversation with Shania Sheridan talking about uh, Josh Muir's art practice and an exhibition celebrating the art of uh, the late Josh Muir launching this Friday evening at the NGV at Federation Square in Melbourne. Also in the program we look at a call on Australia's political parties to establish a COVID-19 recovery plan for people with disability. But first conversation with Sean Miller.
5: TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online.
2: My guest is Gamila Royman, Sean Miller of the Torch Organisation, Touching Base, leading up to the launch of Confined Exhibition with a program of events celebrating the strength and resilience of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture. Yama, Sean.
1: Yeah. Ah, Yama, Yama yeah. Bertrand, how
2: are you? I'm very, very, very good. Very happy to have you on the program. As I was talking to you earlier before we started this interview, you are a very, very busy man. Not only an artist, but also supporting and uh, mentoring other emerging artists.
1: I am. I am. I'm. Um, I'm now the uh, project coordinator and Indigenous Arts Officer at the Torch. I started as a participant um, way back in 2012 and, uh, and was in the system, got caught up in the system in jail and um, joined the Torch program and I was very successful with my art through the Torch. Eventually, upon release, I um, worked my way with my art, art practice into a job with The Torch and now deliver the program that was so successful for me.
2: Very successful. I must also mention that having worked with The Torch for a few years now I know Mm -hmm. that uh, you're one of the rare ones who actually came from the inside and now is allowed back to go and help those still inside to help them cope with the life inside and help them rehabilitate once they are out in the community.
1: Yes, that's correct, yes. Well, Corrections uh, Victoria has allowed me to um, enter back into um, jails to, uh, to work with our participants and deliver the program and, um, you know, work with their art. And we, we then we um, take their art and exhibit and sell their art online as well through the torch program.
2: Now, this year's Confined Exhibition will be on display at the Glen Era Town Hall from uh, the 5th of May to the 5th of June. And the event features more than 400 outstanding artworks.
1: Yes, so this year's the 13th annual Confined Exhibition. And, yeah, you're correct. That's uh, There's um, 400 um, extraordinary artworks. And, yeah, we have them um, 350 Indigenous artists that are, you know, either currently in Victorian prisons or have been released recently from prisons and working in community and um, trying to build their art practice to find a new pathway in life.
2: Now, the last two confined exhibitions were held online, but this year people will be able to see and admire the artworks in person.
1: Yes, that's right. It's at the the Glen Hyra Town Hall Gallery, it is, in Caulfield. And that'll be running from the 5th of May through to the 5th of June. So it's a it's a great exhibition, a great space, a beautiful space down there at the Ira Town Hall Gallery. And um, it'll also be because we were so successful as well with through the pandemic uh, with our online presence. Um, we will also be selling the li- the works in alignment with the exhibition online, and that that can be. Um, you can go to thetorch.org.au to see the exhibition online as well.
2: when people talk about exhibitions, uh, they mainly they see paintings and maybe some um, sculptures and so on. But there's way more than that uh, this year.
1: Ah, uh, yes, they are quite diverse, and in um, the extraordinary paintings and, and three dimensional artworks that we uh, we have there from our, our participants. It includes um, carved wooden sculptures. um, There's woven baskets. um, There's a painted surfboard, bush dyed scarves, a woven rug, ceramics, and all kinds of um, items there. So yeah, a lot, lot of woodworks as well as you know them, them beautiful paintings we have there as well. Over 400 of them.
2: It has to be said that the, all the proceedings from confined artworks goes back to the artists to support their pathway back into the community, and they usually command high sticker prices.
1: There is there is some um, quite big, talented artists that are that are now, you know, they do get a fair bit of money for their art, um, like you said. But we also have a lot of um, you know very very talented. Artists that have just started their art practice and their their art is quite affordable, and it's it's a great it's a great thing because you know one hundred percent of the money that you spend on that on that will go back to the artists for their artwork, and that helps with their release once they get released, and um, you know prevents that recidivism going back into the system and um, gives them another option, another another um, chance at life, if you know what I mean. Get
2: yeah. back into society. Yeah, I just have to reiterate that uh, you're really right when you're saying by saying that, because uh, people when they are released uh, from jail, getting back on their feet is uh, really hard. The pathway to self-sufficiency is an uphill battle because uh, gaining employment with a criminal record is not um, just uh, straightforward, and the pathway to support oneself and their family is often riddled with obstacles.
1: Oh, I true. Said. we yeah. we provide an, an avenue for change so yeah. it, it's just that avenue for change and and um it 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 gives the artists you know that it gives them a you know they not only do they learn more about their culture in the program and, and that you know that that self-confidence is built and um, gives them that you know we, we give them the guidance and the direction they need to make that change in their life and it's a it's a great program and um It's been very successful with a lot of our artists.
2: Yeah. And coming back to what you said, uh, that 100% of the money collected goes back to the former inmates to help them rehabilitate and resettle in life. Yes. The the torch doesn't take any money
1: from the artists for the sale of their artwork. That goes back to the the artists to help support them. And we also help with, um, you know, not just the direction and help and with their culture we help with the um when they're in community we help them with art supplies and so forth and and you know help them build their art practice um we're currently now even moving into projects like murals and so forth in, in community and it's uh that's been a big big help too some of our artists have taken on you know new art practices doing murals as well so it's a As you know, murals are popping up around in community everywhere these days, and uh, the torch is a big part of that.
2: Yeah, and this is is one area I'd like to come back to because Melbourne is known for its little laneways with uh, artwork and really outstanding murals. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, these murals by um, participants in the torch uh, project? Uh, Where can one uh, get to see and admire them?
1: Yes, so like we're we're working with um, the Melbourne City Council, Aboriginal Melbourne, um, and um, we've done a, a mural there at the Boyd Hub. We've recently done a mural at the new Reese corporate. Um, they've, they've built a new corporate building at Arm um, Cremorne, and um, recently done a, a mural there. That, Couple of artists, a few of our artists, got down there and, and painted up one of the walls for them. Um, and uh, they, there's murals popping up everywhere. We're working on one now currently for an exhibition at the Monash University. So yes, and a few few murals coming up. You'll see one pop up at the Eye and Ear Hospital soon. Um, yeah. So there's um, murals popping up everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the torch will. The torch will. Um, dedicate a, a specific um, part of their website to our murals and, and people will be able to in the future be able to pop online and um, go for a tour I suppose and see the murals that um, some of our artists have done.
2: Yeah no, that's a really really exciting new direction the torch is embarking on because I remember uh, a couple of years ago even um the ceo of the torch uh, kent morris had his artwork painted on uh, trams and things like that no it's good to actually have all this artwork it pop is. up everywhere in the city mm-hmm. mm. yeah. yes yes no
1: it's a, and we've had a few artists um thomas Marks. uh um there's there's been a few artists that have um Worked with Yarra Trams to get their artworks travelling around. That's great to see Indigenous art travelling around on the trams with the new Art Tram program they have. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's an ongoing um, part of the Torch program as well, putting putting their artwork out there wherever on billboards. We also have licensing where you know you can get get online or or t- contact our art team and and license an artwork for. You know, for uh, an organisation's reconciliation booklet, or or whatever whatever they need. Um, so, I mean, in, where indigenous art would look nice on a website or so forth, you can license a nice piece of artwork for that too, and that will go. 100 percent of that funds will go back to the artist to help them in community.
2: Yeah, they just mentioned a very powerful word reconciliation, and uh, reconciliation be reconciliation week or when uh, the exhibition is taking place.
1: Yes, yes, it's running running in in, uh, in uh, coinciding with um, the reconciliation um, week, um, which is a great thing. It's uh, it's it, it's kind of a great time of the year to actually, you know, coinciding with National Reconciliation Week and um, celebrating the strength and resilience of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture. So it's an excellent, um, excellent uh, thing too. Excellent time of year to do the uh, exhibition.
2: And before I let you go, uh, anything you'd like to add? Because I know we can talk about this artwork endlessly, but maybe you can yes, uh, yeah, summarize the most important message uh, to the take the home message for our listeners.
1: Uh, yes, well, pop online to the torch.org.au where you could purchase a artwork from the confined exhibition, or you can pop down in person to the Glen Ira Town Hall Gallery. Um, during the 5th of May to the 5th of June and purchase a nice artwork there. And 100% of that money you spend will help uh, one of our Indigenous artists in community and help prevent that recidivism and um, give them a new pathway in life.
2: Sean Miller, it's been a pleasure talking to you and learning more about Confined 13, an exhibition that this year coincides with the Reconciliation Week. Yalu. yellow. Thank you. And that was uh, Sean Miller talking about Confined 13, an exhibition uh, that opened its doors at Glen Era Town Hall and coinciding with uh, Reconciliation Week 2022. Now, time for a break. And when we come back... Uh, another track, Culture by uh, Oka, and then a conversation with uh, Shania Sheridan about the life and uh, artwork by uh, Josh Muir, the late Josh Muir because there's an exhibition opening his doors later tonight at uh, Federation Square celebrating uh, the art of uh, the late Josh Muir Join the
5: conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with
4: NITV Radio
2: my guest is Shania Sheridan, joining us on NITV Radio, ahead of the launch of a pop-up solo exhibition at the NGV of Works of the Letter, Josh Muir. Shania Sheridan is Josh Muir's partner and mother of their two children. Welcome to NITV Radio, Shania. Thank you. It's uh, good to be able to
3: come along and speak about Josh.
2: Now, we are catching up ahead of the launch of uh, this exhibition dedicated to Josh Muir's work at the NGV, the National Gallery of Victoria, at uh, Federation Square. First of all, how are you going?
3: Um, It still doesn't feel real. I think that's just one of the stages of grief is that it's a bit of that denial. But we also share two children together, so it's sort of in our face a little bit. Um, but yeah, we just keep on keeping on.
2: And how are the little ones going?
3: Yeah, so Jamari he's uh coming up to four, um, so he sort of understands a little bit more. Um, Gile is only just turned one, so yeah,
2: she's yeah, she not gonna know, <laughs> she wouldn't know what's going on, obviously, but. Uh, uh, yes, so she looks exa-
3: She looks exactly like him, like looking into her, her eyes is just like looking into
2: Josh's song. And now, can you tell us about this art exhibition that's launching this Friday, the 6th of May at uh, the NGV Ian Potter Gallery at Federation Square?
3: Uh, yes, so it is a pop-up exhibition. It is running from the 7th of May until the 22nd of May, I believe. Um, Tomorrow is the exhibition opening from 6pm until 8pm. It's a solo exhibition by Josh titled This Place, um, and it was sponsored by the City of Melbourne,
2: Fed Square. So you said the City of Melbourne brought this exhibition to light Mm -hmm. uh, and... uh,
3: the exhibition came to light through um, Julie Collins. She has her own business called sorry, DJ Projects. She's worked with Josh since he first began his art career back in 2011 or 2012, I think. And yeah, they've had a long standing close relationship with um, management side and personal side as well. Um, So, yeah, that was something that Josh always handled. I wasn't always in the know on his projects. I sort of just let him do his thing and then would see the final result. (laughs)
2: It was very gracious and uh, resp- respectful of Julie to put this exhibition together, and um, yeah, I must acknowledge her for uh, also setting up uh, this uh, conversation, and uh, well, yeah, just letting this project go ahead and uh, getting the family's green light. And
3: uh uh, yes, yes. So um, Josh had just finished uh, working on the exhibition before he passed. Um, you know, Josh was always so proud of his work, he loved seeing his exhibitions come together Um, so it was a decision that um, himself, sorry that myself and Josh's mum, Justine decided that we would go ahead with it to honour Josh in the world that he loved, that he was passionate about which is the art world.
2: Now the launch is this Friday, 6th of May will you be able to make it to the event?
3: Yes, the children and I will be attending, I'll be up speaking as well just to go through about Josh's career over the last 10, 11, 12 years.
2: And will Mm -hmm. some of the artwork be up for sale as well or people to just admire and um, or is just there for people to admire?
3: Uh, No, the artwork will be for sale. Um, There will be a few sets that will have additions to them as well and all the proceeds that um, are raised from the sales will go into a trust account children when they
2: get older yeah it's good that the proceeds will go um, uh, will be put forward to providing for the little ones uh, but this cannot make up for josh's favorite activities uh spending time with them uh, going out for sightseeing and um
3: yes yes we love to travel just go on road trips and take them to new experiences um that was Josh's thing. He just loved being free on the open road. He loved his music, so, you know, we'd always be in the car driving to Warrnambool Beach or to the Yu Yangs, the music going, the wind going through the car and just taking the kids on little experiences. Not many people know that we actually conceived Jamari, our first child, in Oaxaca, Mexico. And um, Josh had an artist in residence over there in 2017, um, we also wanted to take Jamari back
2: over there as well when he got older. I, I'm quite surprised. You know, when I first interviewed Josh in um, about 2018, and this was um, one of my very few studio interviews uh, that year, well, we spoke about with Joe, I spoke with Josh about his art and many other topics, but he did not drop a word that he'd just come out of uh, a Nat residency in Mexico. He was uh, really very private about it.
3: He was very modest. He was modest about what he had achieved, but he was so proud of it as well at the same time.
2: Any memories kept uh, from your stay in Mexico?
3: We were there um, in September 2017, so that's when they had um, a few of those massive earthquakes. Yeah. we were in Oaxaca, which is sort of down south from Mexico City, so we didn't feel the impact as much, but we definitely felt it. Um, we were in Oaxaca when the Prime Minister had visited the state for the first time in 10 years, um, and we were in the parliament building at the same time, but probably what we took away the most was the food tortillas. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Now, coming back to the art exhibition, are there any particular pieces you may want to talk about?
3: I think I might leave it as a surprise for the audience. But I think that everyone that knows Josh's work can can expect um, bold, vibrant, colourful, incorporating culture. He loved incorporating culture into his artwork. And it's just something that's a true Josh Muir signature star.
2: Shania Sheridan, leading up to this uh, solo exhibition dedicated to Josh Muir's work. Any particular message you'd like to put out there to the community and uh, our listeners?
3: So I think just acknowledging how much Josh has committed to the art scene over the, you know, more than a decade that he's been within the art scene, acknowledging his 37-plus solo um, and group exhibitions that he had over the years. One of his um, proudest achievements was the projection um, onto GV during White Night, um, still here. Um, and, you know, just how far he really did make it. You know, I didn't even know myself and he always said to me, I'm bigger than you know, Bubs, and Bubs was his pet name for me. And it's only now that I truly see how far he did make it with all the tributes that have been played out for him.
2: And I have to remind our listeners that tributes to Josh Muir have uh, come from right across the country, from the mayor of Ballarat, his hometown, to the greatest names in uh, the art and uh, media across Australia.
3: Mm, yeah, internationally as well. Like he um, had some work over in Dubai, Singapore, and then the artist-in-residence in Oaxaca, in Mexico as well.
2: Shania, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's been a, a great pleasure talking to you.
3: Thank you. Thank you for wanting to acknowledge Josh's work as well.
4: Visit
5: sbs.com.au slash radio.
2: Welcome back. And now, advocates are calling on Australia's political parties to establish a COVID-19 recovery plan for people with disabilities. Groups are encouraging the incoming government to enact a plan to address key needs, including more health services to meet mental and physical harm caused by the pandemic, addressing the recommendations of the Disability Royal Commission, and providing a plan for the future. Brooke Young reports.
5: The early days of COVID-19 meant a constant state of trepidation for para-athlete and youth disability advocate Julie Charlton. She felt as though her community of people with disability were not only forgotten by the Australian government during the pandemic, but pushed aside as what she describes as an underlying health risk statistic.
0: You would hear on the news every day that, oh, another person has passed away from COVID, but, oh, they had underlying health conditions. That means they were disabled. That means they were part of my community. And then that means they were lost and forgotten by the people that were supposed to protect them. And that in the very early days of the pandemic scared the absolute bejesus out of me.
5: For Miss Charlton, one of the biggest struggles she and her community suffered was the seemingly never ending lockdowns.
0: Our daily lives is kind of based in a level of isolation. We, it depends on the disability, and I can't speak for everybody, but a lot of us struggle to be able to go out and do the things that we want to do, and that creates a sense of isolation. And so chuck a global pandemic on top of that. It makes it triply
5: uh, hard. Now advocates are demanding action. Disability organisations across Australia are calling on politicians to commit to establishing a COVID recovery plan for the hundreds of thousands of people living with disability. Created by Inclusion Australia, the plan seeks to address the harm caused to the disabled community throughout the pandemic and put in place a blueprint for a safe and more accepting future. CEO of Inclusion Australia, Catherine McAlpine, says they want the incoming federal government to urgently address the fact that people with disability are being left in lockdown, while Australia moves to a new phase of living with the virus.
0: We need to get health supports. We need to make sure remote school and remote work are still available. Um, We should possibly extend the Disability Royal Commission because of the impacts of COVID-19 and, of course, accept their recommendations. So there's a range of things that could happen in terms of the initiatives that have happened to make sure they're still available for people with disability.
5: Dominic Golding is the policy officer at National Ethnic Disability Alliance. He told SBS that the government is not doing enough to relay vital COVID-19 information to the disabled community.
4: Really the biggest harm has been around uh, the fact that uh, people don't really understand where they should get the information from. Many people are referring to uh, social media for information and also they're not really trusting what the government is saying because again the government keeps changing what's happening.
5: Mr Golding says learning to live with the virus requires commitment from all levels of government. He adds that disability services need to adopt a more flexible approach so people with disability can maintain a proper standard of living and have access to community participation.
4: What is um, more challenging for services and organisations is that they need to do more to ensure that the information is available in the right languages. They also need to do more to ensure people with disabilities have greater access to and greater uh, flexibility uh, to do the things that they want to do as we move out of a new, what I should say, not post COVID, but living with uh, a new reality.
5: According to Ms McAlpine, the proposed COVID recovery plan brings together the calls of the eight national disability peak organisations.
0: Clearly we think there is a gap uh, and clearly we think that uh, any incoming government needs to acknowledge the impact of the pandemic on the community of people with disability and make a plan with people with disability about um, how to recover.
5: For Ms Charlton, she wants authorities to recognise that the pandemic is still a very real threat to the disabled community.
0: It's not over. It's still going through disabled people. It's still um, affecting our lives every single day. And so the Disability Royal Commission would be a really good outlet to show where the government, but also community-based levels, have uh, gone wrong and where we could change moving forward um, around COVID-19 and the procedures and the exploitation and neglects
2: that happened during that uh, time period. And that was para-athlete and youth disability advocate Julie Charlton, ending that story by Brooke Young, reporting for SBS News. And that was uh, Get Me Out by King Stingray, bringing us to the end of today's program. Thank you very much for your company today. I wish you a very beautiful weekend. And a safe one as at the same time. But when
1: Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.